Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Commitment just ain't what it used to be, or is it? Welcome in. This is the Late Kick Extra Podcast. It is Wednesday. It is August 3rd, the year of our Lord, 2022. Man, we're close. Either your camp is already open or your camp's open in this week. It's the time we have waited for, and we have not taken our foot off the gas, you and I, a single time in what the casuals would less lovingly refer to as the off-season. Yuck. Even whispering it makes me feel like I need to take a shower. We got a loaded mailbag this morning. I'm Josh Pate. This is the Late Kick Podcast, and it's the Late Kick Extra Podcast. We do one of these mailbag episodes per week. You cannot find this on YouTube. You can only find it here, and it's just a spillover. It's where I get to as many of the questions from you as possible, and we got a really good set of questions about commitment. Verbal commitments. Commitments in recruiting and what the value of a commitment is. So I'm, I mean, I can read what Fred had, for example, what did you think about Brent Venables and what he said at Oklahoma? And then Kyle was talking about what I said earlier this week about how 90% of verbal commitments are going to stick. Well, what do I have to say now that Bama flipped a kid? Let me just get to all this. Okay. Just, I'm going to wrap it all into one great big ball of a question to open the pod. And let's talk for a second. If you're driving around Minneapolis right now, I just want you to think, first off, about whether the Golden Gophers can win seven games this year. And secondly, I want you to think about what a verbal commitment means. If you're down in Biola Battery, Alabama, you're 16 years old and you're new to this whole thing, or you're 66 years old and you've watched college football your whole life, when I say the word commitment, verbal commitment, in the the realm of recruiting, what do you think about that? Because I have had sort of a swinging philosophy on this for a long time. I don't think the word should be used. And that's my preface to get into this this morning. So for the backstory, for those unfamiliar, Fred was asking about my thoughts on Brent Venables at Oklahoma. Brent Venables, I think it was a little while ago, but the footage of a press conference of his popped up for whatever reason on social media earlier this week. And he was talking about how if kids are verbally committed, then they shouldn't be taking visits elsewhere. And he's having to work on making sure if you're committed to Oklahoma, you don't take visits. And if you're going to take visits, don't commit to Oklahoma. So obviously everyone had a strong reaction to this. You notice I didn't have it on a show at all this week until now. And the reason is because I don't care. And I don't. when I say I don't care, I really mean I don't care. I judge you based on your results. I judge a coach and I judge a coach's program based on the results. In other words, judge a tree based on the fruit it yields. If you're a pear tree, I don't care if you call yourself a pear tree if you keep on giving me pears every season. And likewise, I don't really care what your policies are. You could be Dabo and Brent Venables and you know, put the red X on the forehead of a kid who dares to take an official visit elsewhere. Or you can be one that says, I don't care if our kids take visits. They told me they were going to. I'm fine with it. Well, I don't care. Run your recruiting operation the way you see fit. Just, I ask this, don't be hypocritical. Don't enact policies that you're not ready to back up and produce. If you don't do those things, that's when I would personally have a problem. Brent Venables has been on the job like five minutes. So I I haven't even had time to have a problem with Brent Venables. I've never had a problem with the way Dabo does it. And even if I did have a problem, how am I going to argue with their results? 
they've done really good up there. So, you know, even if I did have a problem with it, who cares? But let's get to the broader aspect of this because everyone's had an opinion on that part. What about this part? I just asked you, I'm going to ask you again, what do you think about the word commitment? Should it even be used? I've been of the opinion a long time the word commitment never should have been injected into this conversation because it's not really what we're talking about when it comes to a 17-year-old kid's relationship or attachment to a school before he's ever signed a piece of paper. One of the tiredest arguments that I hear so frequently is a bunch of older folks looking at a bunch of younger folks who quote-unquote commit to a school and then they quote-unquote decommit from the school and I got to listen to a 45-year-old mechanic who's lived three lifetimes worth of what that kid's lived tell that kid you don't know a thing about commitment. Well, maybe, maybe what he did when he told an Auburn coach that he's going to play there but then decided five months later he wants to play at LSU, maybe that's not actually the same thing as you marrying and then divorcing your wife. You know, maybe we're talking about something on a little bit different a spectrum. And if it sounded like I was disrespecting mechanics there, I got mechanics in my family. I am more talking about the age. You know, if you are three times as old as some of these kids, you tend to look at them through the prism of how you would view yourself, which is not fair. Because if you held 17-year-olds to a 45-year-old standard, you would think that about virtually every 17-year-old, except the ones that win the spelling bee or win the chess matches on TV, and they're kind of aliens to begin with. I'm convinced those kids don't come from the same planet I do. They're out here on national TV, you know, spelling nine-syllable words, and I'm sitting at a red light trying to figure out, can I turn at this intersection on red? Can I do that? Is it a... Oh, there's the sign. Okay. So we're good. No, outside of those kids, though, a 17-year-old is not thinking about commitment in the same vein as you. But let's get even beyond that. Let's go a, a layer deeper. Now we're really thinking critically. Now it really gets dangerous around here. How about the word commitment? What if I were to suggest to you that a kid in, let's say, March of his junior year looks at Texas and says, all right, I just had a visit out there. I just talked to the running backs coach. I like Texas. Uh, they just called me and they pressured me to commit. And you know what I did to make them happy? I said, I'm coming. I I'm going to play at Texas. Boom. Verbal commitment, as the recruiting industry would call it. It is my idea that we should not use the term commitment there. I'm open to another term, but the term commitment does not fit there because that's not what they did. There was no I do. There is no signing on the dotted line. Here, sir, are your keys. That vehicle is yours now. That is not at all what happened. If anything, if you wanted to go back to the, the world of romance and relationships, maybe you started to date, I guess would be the best metaphor. Okay, we're dating. Well, people who are dating break up all the time. People who were once dating one person are now dating another person happens all the time because they're not quite ready for that final commitment yet, or as you would call it, marriage. I look at recruiting and always have the same way. And that's why when all these folks get up in arms, when a kid decommits, I don't have a problem with it. And here's where that spares me any embarrassment. I never end up being the guy who gets mad at one kid for quote-unquote decommitting, but then I also cheer when my school flips a kid from another program. You see, if you're complaining about one, it's kind of hypocritical to celebrate the other. The way that you abstain from that entirely is do what I do. And this is a good strategy elsewhere in life. Just say, I don't care. Don't be the guy who thinks it's cool not to care. Don't go down that road that far. But on things of this nature, the word commitment should never be used. So, that, so part A is I don't really care what your approach is as long as it works and it's not totally underhanded. Part B is I don't think the word commitment should even be used. Therefore, I don't judge a kid when he does what some would call decommitting from a school. But there's a third part to this that I need to wind in. And this is where Kyle came in. 
and Kyle was trying to have a gotcha moment with me, and he failed miserably. I mean, your face is going to look like street pizza after this, Kyle. You're about to fly straight over the handlebars, and I hate to do it to you, but I know you personally, so it's okay if I drag you. I would never do a stranger like this. Kyle was asking about something I said earlier this week, too. I was reacting to a lot of fans who were in my DMs talking about Florida, starting to get on a roll. We gave Florida a lot of love on the Sunday night Late Kick Live because they're, they're rolling and recruiting right now. And a lot of fans, I've noticed this, happens all the time. Their defense mechanism kicks in. So any non-Florida fan who was listening to that, their, their first reaction, their first guttural instinct is to come at me and say, well, none of it matters in July. Uh, yes, it does matter. It matters a ton. And then they say, uh-uh, because nothing's official. Well, that's true. And you heard me just say five minutes ago, until they sign on the dotted line, nothing's official. Well, that's true. But we also have something else on our side. You know what else we have? We have data. We have research that we can go do, because I don't know if you guys were aware of this, but you could go back and you could track previous classes. So you can go see what the relative value of a verbal commitment has been, if that's what you want to call it. And since we have not come up with a better term on this show, for lack of a better term, I've got to call it verbal commitment. What does verbal commitment mean? How much value should be placed in it? How much should you care about it? If you're a Florida fan, how much does history suggest you should be excited about having these verbal commitments? Well, the answer is really, really excited. And if you're throwing out the defense mechanism of, oh, they'll all decommit. No, oh, it doesn't mean anything. You're just wrong. There's not opinion here. You're just wrong. And so I'm not going to bore you with all these numbers, but something to the tune of 90% of verbal commitments in July and beyond, or in August and beyond, stick with the class they're committed to. Nine out of 10, guys. Now, what I just said there is the vast majority of kids who are verbally committed to a school right now will end up signing with that school. But did you notice what I didn't say? I didn't say all kids. I didn't say 100%, not 10 out of 10. There are the exceptions. And guess who the exceptions usually align with? It's not NIL like you think it will be. It's not going to be someone coming in and buying a kid. In fact, it's the opposite. I'm going to suggest to you, you may actually see a higher stick rate than you used to because kids who have committed early in a lot of cases, whether it's underhanded or not, they have committed and part of that commitment is an NIL structure attached to that commitment. So they have less reason to decommit in the future. But anyway, that nine out of 10 figure, where does the 10% happen? Where's the one out of 10 happening or the one and a half out of 10, maybe the 15%, where's that going to happen? It's going to really be correlated with the apex predators in recruiting because Alabama can go in and offer a kid who's been committed to Ohio State or Michigan for six months, and there's a decent shot they're going to flip him just because they offered him. I mean, it, we just saw this happen uh, in, with an offensive lineman this week. So that's the exception to the rule. So when Bama comes in and flips a kid, it doesn't prove my point wrong. It validates my point. That is the exception. That is the one out of 10. That's the whole point. Then you're going to have situations where you're going to have staff churn. Either the guy that I committed to gets fired or the guy I committed to is about to move on and maybe I'm less attracted to that program than I used to be. Yeah, that could happen and it will happen. Inevitably, with every cycle, it will happen. That doesn't prove the point wrong. It validates the point. So when we, we start seeing half of a class flip, then you can come back at me and say, what's happening this year? And I'll say, I don't know. We need to dive into this. But that's not what's going to happen. I'll spoil the ending for you now. A vast majority of Florida's class is going to end up signing with Florida. And I will not hear a peep 
from the people running their mouth right now come December on the early signing day, come February on the second signing day, they'll be nowhere to be found. It's, it's a myth. It's just fog. It eventually will, will evaporate it's just into thin air. And you'll look around and say, wait, where are all the folks who were doubting this last July? They're nowhere to be found anymore. They disappeared. They were the fog. Jeffrey is next up. Hard transition there, I know. But hey, I'm done talking about it, so we move on. Hey, Jeffrey asked a pressing question, probably one of the most important that we'll have on the pod all year. Josh, is it really true that you wear makeup on air? Uh, absolutely, Jeffrey. Absolutely. Now, when I first got in local news, true story here, the first day that I was ever in a TV studio was the day they put me on air. I had no formal training, no nothing. They took me, and if you could picture an entire den of wolves, they just strip you down and they toss you head first into that den and say, go get them. Well, one of the many things I didn't know, among others, such as how to read the teleprompter, is I didn't know you were supposed to wear makeup on air. I'm a dude. I don't wear makeup. I mean, that was as simple as that. Or at least in Harris County, Georgia, when you're growing up, that's as simple as it is. So I go on air and I do my best. I sucked, but I did my best. But I come back to the newsroom and there was a lady by the name of Dolores Washington, who was long time tenured, came from the Weather Channel before she worked with us at WLTZ. She said, hey, you don't have any makeup, do you? I said, uh, no, is this a joke? What's happening? She said, you got to get you some makeup. She showed me the replay. I'm surprised the viewer could even see my face from the glare coming off my forehead. So yes, Jeffrey, I do wear it. And you know what you should be doing? You should be thanking me. Now, those who listen to the podcast don't have to worry about what I look like. But man, if you could see the way those lights work on my forehead without makeup, or better yet, if you were placed in my shoes and you experienced it, Jeffrey, you would soften your stance on makeup really quick, my friend. I know I did, but that's not really the question you should have been asking anyway. The question is, since I wear it, are we going to start selling makeup in the late kick store? PateStateMaterial.com, by the way, open for business. And the answer is, I don't know. We'll see. Stay tuned. There's a lot of stuff we don't sell there now that we will sell in the future. I mean, if Kylie Jenner has her own cosmetic line, why in the world can't I? You know, I'm waiting for an answer on that. All right, back to college football here. Uh, let's see, scroll, scroll. Let's go with Stephanie's question. So Stephanie asked, would it shock you more if Clemson or USC won the national title this year? I think USC would shock me more simply because of the line of scrimmage. And there's a lot of newness at USC that I think will pan out in time, but I can't be just totally sold on it confident in year one. But with Clemson, that's not a major rebuild or anything. They won nine regular season games last year. We all know the reasons. I don't need to rehash the reasons, but to me... It's as simple as looking at Clemson and saying they got the best defensive line in the country, probably. They have, if not, a quarterback that can win it for him in DJ. They've got Cade Klubnick as a backup, and one of those guys I could easily see being good enough to win the ACC, and then anything happens, as we've seen in the past, once Clemson gets in the playoff. So that's a, not a path that is really hard for me to paint. It's a little bit harder for me to paint the path for USC because, Stephanie, you didn't ask about the playoff. You asked about winning a national championship. Sometimes that sounds like an either-or. You know, it's just interchangeable. It's not. It is so not, guys. Think about the difference for Cincinnati and Michigan last year. Making the playoff versus trying to win a title once you get in the playoff. It's like a whole new task. It's like a whole new challenge, a whole new mountain to climb. Getting that title once you get in there. Because chances are at least one or two teams are going to be elite. And last year, you had a couple of them, and neither Cincy nor Michigan were ever going to do anything against Georgia or Bama. So ask ourselves this. If we assume that one or two teams who are elite get in the playoff this year, and maybe they're USC and Clemson, maybe they're not, but if Clemson or USC had to face one of those teams, what does it take? 
it takes a certain caliber of player along the lines of scrimmage. It doesn't matter what else you have. It doesn't matter what other ornaments on the tree you have. If the tree doesn't have a good base on it, it's just going to get sawed down. It's going to get tossed in the wood chipper. When you go up against teams that do have that depth and that overall top-level talent along the offensive line and defensive line. So because of that, Clemson's the only team out of those two. There, to me, there's not an option for USC to be able to do that this year. And that's even if Caleb Williams plays very well. That's even if those wide receivers do pan out. That's even if Travis dies over a 1,000-yard rusher again this year. All those things could happen and USC not be a title contender. It's unreasonable to expect them to be a title contender. I don't know many Southern Cal fans who I've interacted with who do expect them to be a title contender on the national level. Now, if everything goes right, they could win the Pac-12 title, and I think they get that. But anything beyond that would be one of the wilder coaching debuts in the modern history of the sport. Jacob, next up, Jacob's asking about a question that we had on Late Kick the other night. He said, I saw you say that you probably won't be at the Georgia-Missouri game in week five, but you didn't really say where you will be. My first question is, what is this year's tour name? My second question is, What's your best guess as to which game you will be at? Jacob, the tour name this year is the Every Given Saturday Tour. It falls right in line with the entire ethos and the entire mantra and fabric of this show. That is our DNA. We are regular season first and foremost. We cherish every Saturday we get. That's why I didn't call it the Any Given Saturday Tour. That's a pro thing. It's the Every Given Saturday Tour for us. So that's the tour name. Secondly, in week five, now let's unpack this. For those who missed the Sunday Night Late Kick Live or the Monday podcast replay, Jacob's talking about a bold prediction one of our viewers made. And that bold prediction was, I'm going to end up in Columbia, Missouri at the Georgia-Missouri game in week five. And for those of you who are new to the show entirely, and I know we got tens of thousands of you, thank you for being part of the Pate State family here. Here is essentially how my life works. I've got the best job on the planet. They pay me way too much to talk about college football on my own show that I own. And then on Saturdays every fall, I get to fly to any game I want to and stand on the sideline and watch it and then come back and talk to you about it and post a ton of Instagram stories from the sideline so you can see in the process. So yeah, that's what we do. And we kind of dress it up and we give it a tour name and it's really fun. We have a whole lot of fun with it. Well, uh, one of our viewers thinks that I'm going to be at the Georgia-Missouri game voluntarily. And that's the same week where Michigan plays Iowa I think we have Oklahoma State on the road at Baylor. We've got Bama at Arkansas. There were a couple of more. I can't remember all of them. But anyway, I mentioned the games that I need to mention because my guess, my guess right now is I'm going to be at Michigan, Iowa. Now, that's a guess. Obviously, it's subject to change. But think about this. I've never been to a game at Iowa, and that matters. We want to be at the the big game. We want to be at a big atmosphere. I want to see as many venues and as many teams in a given year as possible. We obviously don't want to go somewhere where there's a likelihood of a blowout. And I don't think any of those games are likely to be blowouts. But also, how many more times do I have an opportunity to see Iowa and Michigan in the regular season? Because I can see Bama. I normally end up seeing Bama three times minimum. I can possibly have the chance to see Arkansas a couple of times this year. And that's why Bama at Arkansas, it may not end up being the game we go to that day. It may very well be, but it may not. And so I'm looking at Michigan and Iowa. Michigan has such an easy September. They're going to be undefeated in all likelihood when that game rolls around. Iowa, if Iowa beats Iowa State in week two, their only other games before the Michigan game are South Dakota State, Nevada, and at Rutgers. So it should be an undefeated versus undefeated matchup. Now, 
Here's the trap some people fall into when I talk to them about this. They think about it and they say, why would you go to Iowa? That's going to be like a seven or an eight win team this year. No, guys, that's not the way to think about it at all. Earlier in the year is your better opportunity to go see teams that may not end up being double digit win teams because early in the year, they're less likely to have blemishes on their record. That's why I made it a point to, as I just threw my preview magazine down, that's why I made it a point to go to the Iowa, Iowa State game last year. Neither of those teams ended up being great teams, but they were undefeated at the beginning of the year and week two rolls around and it's the biggest game in the history of the series. That was, that was a fun atmosphere. This Michigan, Iowa atmosphere, potentially if that's undefeated versus undefeated, man, and that's the first road game for Michigan and it's the first big conference game for Iowa. That could be a raucous environment. And like I said, I've never been to Kinnick stadium before. So that's definitely a place I want to get to. So my guess is Michigan and Iowa. But like I said, it's a guessing game. That guessing game gets really dangerous because at any given moment, something like this could happen. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass?" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Mm, it's too easy at this point. I need a new challenge. Because fooling you with the ad break, if we're just being real with each other, has kind of become one-sided. None of you saw that. None of you saw Inevitably, it's only like a 40-minute pod. So someone's just going to randomly guess when it's coming. I mean, people win the lottery all the time. That doesn't mean there's skill. There's no skill in knowing when that ad break's coming. You know how I know that? Because I don't decide when it's coming until right before it does. As you can tell, we're really structured around here. Richard is next up. Richard asked a very intriguing question, and it kind of got seen already in the Big 12 last year. Richard said, do you think USC and UCLA are going to face increased hostility on the road in the Pac-12 this year because they're leaving? Richard, the answer is yes. And I think if you ask Texas or you ask Oklahoma, they faced this last year, and it wasn't just on the road. That's when the fans can get involved, obviously. But I think you saw inspired efforts from just any game that OU and Texas played in conference last year. And I expect that to be the same out in the Pac-12 because you got to understand those players, they understand this stuff. Those players are not just pawns out there that look around and say, oh, well, media rights, conference realignment, it doesn't affect us. Well, absolutely, it does affect you. 
It affects the spotlight. It could affect the amount of opportunities you're going to get financially. It could impact, especially for the future, the value attached to your name. Think about this. If you're a player at, let's just say, Washington right now, growing up, you have come to understand that attaching Pac, former Pac-12 football player at University of Washington to your name gets you opportunities long after your playing days are done. It could be on the speaking circuit. You know, it could be in marketing opportunities. There's just, there's so much out there. There's so many doors that get unlocked for you once you have lived that life. Well, there is very much a diminishing return on the value of calling yourself a former Pac-12 football player as the reputation of the Pac-12 potentially takes a hit down the road because the USC Trojans and the UCLA Bruins saw fit to up and leave. Now, I know that you don't necessarily sit there on your couch on Saturday and think in those terms, but I can promise you those players do. And those players from coaches looking for an angle to get their guys motivated are reminded of this stuff. And I say that with conviction because I have it on good authority that certain programs in the Big 12 have been using this tactic with their locker room to get them ready and add just a little bit of extra juice into the effort that they're going to get from their guys when they go play OU in Texas in the Big 12. So yes, Richard, I do think it's going to matter. Now, what you can't know, I say this all the time, what you can't know is, well, how many points is that worth? Is, is this team all of a sudden going to score 34 instead of 27 because they're mad that USC is leaving the conference in two years, whenever that is? I have no idea. Uh, but I do know in the aggregate, it will matter. I certainly think when you look back on this season, you will have had enough of a case study to say, oh, man, you know what I you know what I've realized? Teams really took it extra serious when they played USC and UCLA this year. Seth is next up. Seth asked, for all the talk you've done about how the recruiting dynamic needs to change in the state of Florida, are we starting to see it happen? Cristobal's got Miami rolling. You've talked recently about how Billy Napier looks to be turning things around at Florida. Are we seeing the shift in the Sunshine State? Uh, yes, I do think that's happening. was planning on doing a segment on this eventually. I wanted to give it a little break. You know, I can't talk about the state of Florida every other week on the show, but if you're asking about it, I absolutely can. Yes, Seth, I think that's happening. And here's the million-dollar question. Is Florida State going to join the party? It's not necessary for all three of them to be recruiting at a high level. I think it is necessary for at the very least one, and more preferably at least two, to be recruiting at a high level. And like I'm saying, I'm not trying to put the cart before the horse here. I'm not trying to say, all right, after you get a few verbal commitments, then everything's turned around. But I also am not saying it's meaningless. So there's a healthy balance here. I think when Florida just landed four four-star commitments in the span of a week, that's not nothing. That is something. And when Miami has been getting the overall traction, just the general traction they've been getting and recruiting under Cristobal, that's not nothing. That very much is something. And there's no reason to think it's going to slow down. It's not a mirage. You know, it's not like fool's gold. No, if, if nothing else, they're going to continue to recruit at Miami. And I hope that we end up being able to say the same about Billy Napier in Florida. But the point there is, Seth's asking about a very, very long-held belief by myself that the whole big key to unlocking or reestablishing some really good, sustainable, competitive balance in the sport is for teams in Texas, California, and Florida to keep more of their talent home. And the simple reason for that, I'm not going to take five minutes to talk about this, but the simple reason for that is ask yourself who's been dominating the sport. And when you answer teams like Alabama, go look at their roster. Are those guys all from Mobile and Montgomery and Birmingham and Huntsville? Of course they're not. 
Some of them are. Many more of them are from South Florida. Many of them are from Texas. Bryce Young's from California. So they've gone to those states. Ohio State's done it. Georgia's done it. Clemson's done it. And it's no coincidence, those teams are right up there in the hunt every single year. So just ask yourself rhetorically, how much would it change the landscape if Miami or Florida or USC or Texas or A&M or all of them were recruiting in the top 10 and a couple of them were in the top five every cycle because there's no reason for them not to be. And the answer, friends, is you would have two things happen. It would be a chain reaction. You would just flat out see those teams get better. So Southern Cal or Texas or Miami, they would be more competitive on the field, which in and of itself would yield to a more competitive conference race. But then the other thing that would happen is you would have one or two less kids per team, per cycle, going to places like Ohio State, going to places like Alabama. And all of a sudden, you get rid of what you currently view as super teams, and you just have a bunch of really good teams. And that kind of leads us into the last question. So I'm going to get over to Michael's question here, because Michael was asking, Michael says, I'm a college guy, and I've heard about the 07 season, but I've only seen clips of the 07 season. From your perspective, if you lived through it, which I assume you did, thank you, Michael, uh, what was so special about the 07 season? And Michael, the answer is, complete and utter chaos like you have never seen before. If you and your buddies got together in like a college football simulator and you just simulated the craziest, most unlikely scenarios imaginable and you put it all in one season, 07 was crazier than what you would do. Because you guys, you before you got to the point of what 07 really was, you would look at your simulator and you would hit the reset button because you would say, some of this stuff is out of the realm of believability. We cannot, for example, we cannot have the last week of the season get here and have Missouri and West Virginia in line to play for the national title. And I'm going to slow down for a second and I'm going to restate what I just said. We got to the last week of the season and Missouri and West Virginia was going to be your national championship game. Not in 1963, guys. This was in 2007. And all of a sudden, in the last week of the season, Missouri loses, I think, in the Big 12 championship game. And then also, the biggest upset to me of the year because of the stakes was Pitt beating West Virginia. West Virginia was a machine. West Virginia was under Rich Rodriguez, and this was right before he briefly accepted, or this was right after he briefly accepted and then turned down the Alabama job. And then they went right back to Nick Saban and ended up getting him. So... He had West Virginia rolling, and he's a West Virginia guy, and it was this perfect fit. And then all of a sudden, there's this inexplicable upset in a huge rivalry game, which, by the way, is being renewed this year. Pitt versus West Virginia. Backyard brawl is back, and I think it's a week one game. So if you want to know why that rivalry means so much, for those of you who are in college, among other things, go check out the 07 season. West Virginia was in line to play for the national title. And because they and... Missouri both got knocked out. You end up having two loss LSU in the title game, even though they lost to a five loss team and they lost their last regular season game in like triple overtime. But because they went to the SEC title game and won it, they're sitting there with two losses. They're the SEC champ. And all of a sudden the BCS looks around and says, who are we going to take? I guess LSU. All right, put them in. And then LSU did what Southern teams normally do with a month to prepare. They got healthy. And they took the most talented roster and they ended up winning the game and winning a national championship. I think the best way I can summarize it is this. 
I could tell you what was so crazy about 07, and I could get like 10 points deep, and I would not even mention that Louisiana Monroe beat Alabama, Nick Saban's Alabama, in Tuscaloosa. I would not even get to that point. Louisiana Monroe went into Tuscaloosa and beat Saban and Alabama, and that's not even one of the 10 craziest things that happened. Or, to put it another way, think about this sentence. This sentence could be said, and in the context of 07, no one would argue it. It would kind of make sense. Think about this sentence for a second. Man, it's a shame that once West Virginia and Missouri got knocked out of the title picture in the last week of the season, Kansas didn't get their rightful shot at a national championship. Just pause. Let it sizzle. Let it sizzle. Yes, that's where we were. That same Kansas team that hasn't won more than three games since 2009 in 2007 was in the national championship picture. They were a top five team. That's what happened. Well, among other things, that's what happened in 07. 2007 was unlike anything we have seen before or since in college football. Every Saturday night, you felt like you were recovering after a bomb just went off. You were sitting incredulous, staring at your TV, watching what was the best college football wrap-up show of our time, which was Reese Davis, Mark May, and Lou Holtz on College Football Final. And you would be watching your TV screen. After convincing yourself that you knew what was going to happen that Saturday, 12 hours earlier, you would be watching and you wouldn't even blink for like two minutes. You would just be staring like a zombie saying, what just happened? And sometimes it's because your team got knocked out. Sometimes it's because you lost your entire month's rent because Illinois beat number one Ohio State. Guys, Illinois won the Orange Bowl that year. I didn't even tell you that. Illinois, University of, in football, won the Orange Bowl. I didn't even mention it. That's kind of like the Bama thing. App State beat Michigan to start the season. I didn't even mention it. There are so many things that happened that year that in any other year would be the craziest thing that weren't even top five or top 10 in 07. So I know it sounds like a movie, but it really happened. It, I was happy to have lived through it, but I was, I was not without being victimized. I caught some strays in the wallet that year too, but man, that 07 season, completely and utterly crazy. Hey, PateStateMaterial.com is open for business. The late kick store, we finally got it up and running, and I'm finally able to keep it open now. We're stocked up. Uh, we've been doing phenomenally there. So obviously, thank you for that. And also, keep an eye on the store. New stuff is coming that I think is going to be better than anything we even have in there right now. So keep an eye on it. I'll make sure to tell you. Follow the socials. At Late Kick Josh, I am so excited about camps opening up. So excited. Here's the other thing you need to know. And this is a little shopkeeping I'm going to put on the back end of the show. We are not going to have an episode of Late Kick Live Thursday night. And here's why. Our staff, starting Sunday, starting this Sunday, will not have a day off until Thanksgiving. We will grind seven days a week and we'll love to do it now. We love to do it, but it is, it is taxing. All I have to do is talk. Some of these guys, they're in editing bays 13 hours a day, and it sounds like it's easy work, but it's really not at all. So we're just, we're taking a couple of days off. I'm going to go home for a couple of days back to Columbus or back to Harris County, sorry. And uh, then we're going to hit it Sunday, and we're starting three shows per week, Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday. That starts next week, and we will not let up until the season wraps up. And that's the way we like it, and that's the way we built the show, with you in mind. Thank you so much. Keep telling friends. Keep telling family about the show. We're not paying anything to market. You're making it so we don't have to. Thank you for that. For producer James today, 
producer James on the scene. I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much. Have yourselves a great rest of your day, and God bless. and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with hot buys your choice of color starting at just $3.99 Ashley sleep mattresses starting at $2.50 plus receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns and Foster Tempur-Pedic purple and Beautyrest black with 60 month special financing only at Ashley subject to credit approval no minimum purchase required minimum monthly payment down payment tax and delivery may be required see store for details